What I want to focus on is storytelling, so I had to let go of the idea that it has to look beautiful. No, it doesn't have to look beautiful. The same with the music video I made for Mademoiselle. I, I kind of thought of giving up at some point because I thought it looked so ugly. <laughs> I really think it was ugly. But then I told myself it doesn't have to look perfect. Most of the time, I draw something that I'm proud of. And then 10 minutes later, I look back at that and I think, oh my god, this stuff is ugly. <laughs> and I think we all have to just grind through it. And I truly believe that even Da Vinci had this. Like, we all think whatever we made is not there yet. And then we keep striving to make better stuff. And we, we are rarely very satisfied with what we made, I think. I just really, really hope that if there's any artists out there who think they're not good enough or they don't have proper gears or proper tools, they should still make their artwork regardless. And I just wanted to encourage that in my video, I think. Hello everyone, my name is Dean Long and welcome to the podcast Lifeline. In this podcast, I will interview people who are having a positive impact in their community and have a strong message that deserves to be shared. We will dive deeper into their journey becoming a change maker and hopefully you can take away some insights for your own journey. And please do subscribe to Lifeline on YouTube, Apple Podcasts or any platform that you are using. And also you can share this episode with your friends if you like it. It's really what helps me the most. In today's episode, you will be meeting Koyo, a visual artist who wants to develop empathy and understanding between people through storytelling. Koyo sees her life as a succession of experiments, where each experiment is a learning opportunity to improve the next one. And Koyo has worked in a video game agency, designed a children's book for the UN, trained herself to be a Montessori teacher. She has been a freelance designer and she's now working on her own projects. And that's through this iteration process that Koyo came back to what made her happy when she was a kid, which is to create stories. Hello, Koyo. Super happy to have, super happy, super happy <laughs> to have you, Koyo, in Lifeline. And yeah, for everyone, Koyo is actually my cousin, but she's a very awesome cousin, so that's why she's here. And yeah, I think it's going to be super interesting because you are in a sector that I'm not super familiar with, you know, which is multimedia design and all these kind of things. And yeah, I really wanted to see with your words, what is the impact you want to have and how do you see yourself, you know, amplifying your impact in the future and also wanted to know how everything made you arrive in what you are doing today. But first, yeah, would you like to introduce yourself, where you come from and what you are currently doing? First, thank you for having me. I'm super flattered. So I am Vietnamese, but my family was in Japan. So I was born in Japan. And uh, I grew up with a lot of anime and uh, reading a lot of manga, all of these comics and animations. And I moved around a lot. My family was moving to Vietnam. And then I went to the U.S. for an exchange program. And I did college in Europe. So I am currently in the Netherlands because my boyfriend is Dutch. So I, I guess I am an immigrant. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it is, right? Uh, so right now I am... How do you say it? I am not... I don't really have a job. I don't know how to explain it. It's like I am an artist, but I am 
like I think uh, yeah I guess I'm an artist yeah <laughs> and uh, right now I am focusing a lot on my own project so there's not really an income but uh, I I guess yeah I make art so <laughs> yeah um, yeah that's it I guess <laughs> sorry <laughs> <laughs> And if so, if we go chronologically, the first thing you mentioned is that you were reading a lot of manga and anime. So I guess it's very important for you. Did it motivate you to become a designer? Yeah, for sure. I uh, was drawing a lot when I was a kid, but also it helps that my mom is or was or is a painter as well. And my sister was also really great at drawing. But when you think about it, I think it's also a cultural thing. In Japan, I think, I feel like everyone in Japan can draw. Like, it's just something that is in their blood or they grew up with so much art and storytelling, visual storytelling that they are just somehow natural at drawing. And um, I mean, even adults, they still read comics and it's, it's a very normal thing for them. So yes, I, I think that it, affected me a lot and the fact that I moved country and see the differences the different views of anime like for some people they think that oh cartoons are for kids animation is for kids but that is not true and uh, yeah like for example Ghibli movies they are also enjoyable for adults and all of these movies means different thing for different people in different ages so it's like for example Spongebob I actually don't watch it but I learned that When you're a kid, you enjoy Spongebob differently from when you're an adult. So I think that is such a beautiful thing, you know. And you don't have to stop enjoying animation just because you're a grown-up. And yeah, so I think the, the biggest effect uh, of anime on me is that I grew up with it and I learned a lot from it. I got a lot of lessons from it and I want to continue doing that for the younger generations. And uh, yeah, um, so my biggest value is empathy and uh, well compassion and I think everyone like humans love storytelling so I feel like this is what I was born to do in a way like telling story visually put people in other people's shoes so we can understand each other more and uh, see everyone from different perspectives what does that make sense <laughs> like you know you know what I mean I, th I think so <laughs> how did you become aware that it's what you wanted to do with your life? Hmm. So I, uh, I, I grew up drawing manga all the time. Like in school, in elementary school, secondary school, high school, I was constantly making comics. And uh, I just loved... At that moment, I didn't, I didn't really know why. It was more like... I make comics and then my classmates loved reading my comic and it would make me so happy that I brought joy into people's lives just by bullcrapping, I guess. <laughs> and and uh, it, it really encouraged me to keep going. And then over time, I start to be more like start asking more questions about, okay, why do I like it so much? And why do people enjoy it so much? And I think, yeah, the answer is because I really yeah I, i want to be an em, em, empa, empathetic person is that the word uh and the world will be a much better place if everyone try to understand each other more because there's so 
So many times we judge people just by one action, for example, and we immediately think, ah, there must be this kind of person. That's why they do this. But that's not always true. We always have to think, okay, where is that person coming from? Why is this person doing that? Maybe they need help. But a lot of people, unfortunately, don't have the maybe mental space to do that for other people. I think. So how? Because I. So I called you a designer. So now I'm not sure. Is it the correct? Is it correct? Or should I? <laughs> I'm not. E I'm not sure either. Because <laughs> I saw on your LinkedIn, you call yourself multimedia designer for empathy. Yeah. So originally, my title on LinkedIn was visual storyteller for empathy, but I have a little bit of a conflict with it because if I want to look for a job. Visual storyteller is not a very specific term. It's not specific enough to look for a job. So, I'm still kind of.、Um, so I thought multimedia designer would fit me better if I'm looking for a job. But if I am not looking for a job, then I would rather call myself visual storyteller for empathy. So what you want to do is to, I guess, design stories on different multimedia so that people can understand each other. Yeah, so I think visual visual、uh, multimedia design. Wait, is that what I said? No, multimedia design. When you think about it, you know that okay, this person probably does posters, flyers, animation, films. It feels more specific than visual storytelling, or not? I don't know. I I feel that way. So, so I do like kind of separate myself from. My own project, and if I put myself out there commercially, does that make sense? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> But how would you summarize what what do you want to achieve with what you are doing? I mean, so yeah, that's a super broad question. But what do you want to achieve with the stories that you are creating? Yeah. So.、Mm, So first, I want to be able to be the voice that comfort people. For example, so one of the biggest thing that I love about art is the ability to tell people that they are not alone. So a lot of times people feel lonely or feel sad, and they maybe they go on social media and they feel like, oh man, why is everyone so successful? Why is everyone so happy? But with Art, you, for example, when you listen to music,、uh, some music actually speaks to you because you feel like, oh, this person is talking directly to me. I feel like I am exactly the same person in the song, and you feel understood, and、uh, it's easier for you to express yourself. Like sometimes you you have these emotions, you you are not entirely sure what they are until someone calls it out, like until you see the word that explains it. So I think art helps untangle emotions, make them feel like they're not alone. So that's what I really love about art. And then another part is empathy, I guess. So if someone doesn't understand something, maybe the stories I tell might be able to help them understand where people are coming from. Yeah. <laughs>、mm, I see. So what kind of stories do you want to share, or what kind of stories do you want people to understand? So,、um, 
So this is another conflict that I had for a while. I kept thinking that making art is a really selfish thing because making art is in the end about talking about yourself. Does that make sense? Like, for example, if I feel lonely, or let, let's say uh, a lot of songs are about love, heartbreaking love stories. So if you're heartbroken and you sing a song about how heartbroken you are, I think it's like, if I did that, I used to feel like, oh man, I only talk about myself. But it is kind of the same with when you're trying to connect with someone, you are becoming vulnerable and you open, you basically send an invitation to other people that, hey, this is me, like raw, being vulnerable. And uh, if you feel the same, we can connect. And uh, I totally forgot what the question was. <laughs> what, what was the question? <laughs> what kind of stories? Uh, what kind of stories would you like to share with people? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. So in the end, what I do is I just be true to myself and just share with everyone what I'm going through. And from that, I believe that some people will feel that with a connection with me, even though they never met me in person, they never or will never even meet me in person. But if they see my artwork, my animation, whatever, and they feel connected, I think that is the most important. I mean, if you think about your favorite artist, you feel connected to them, even though you never met them. And that is the beauty of art, I think. So yeah, what I want to tell with my story is just my story. And hopefully when I... For example, if I share an artwork about you are not alone, hopefully someone will receive that and actually believe in what I said, even though I may not be there for them, but maybe my artwork will be there for them. So that's what you wanted to do as well, right? Because you just started a YouTube channel and you had this sort of short documentary, which was about yourself, actually. Now you understand better why you did it. Yeah, so, yeah, I mean, it's the same in communication, right? When it's easier to connect with someone who is being honest than with someone who is trying to, trying too hard, I guess. And especially right now with social media, I see a lot of so-called toxic positivity. A lot of people only choose to only post happy moments and they don't see the point in posting sad moments or sharing what they're going through for example and that would kind of create like a warped image that no one is suffering except for you and i kind of want to stop that in a way so i am also drawn to a lot of sad stuff <laughs> i guess yeah can you describe a bit the video maybe for those who don't know what we are talking about oh my god <laughs> um Okay, so in the video, it was... Man, maybe maybe I'm struggling with this because I made that video so long time ago and I even forgot about it. <laughs> um, in the video... So when I made that video, I was going through... Um, I had just immigrated to the Netherlands and I was struggling with social life. I was struggling with making friends. I was struggling with finding a job and which was the complete opposite of when I was in Vietnam. When I was back home, I had a big group of friends that I loved hanging out with. And I had a really good job 
that was paying me quite comfortable. Like for me, it was quite comfortable. And uh, I was also quite proud because I actually used to make a little more than my colleagues as well, like my salary and all. And like, I'm, I'm just being really truthful here. I might sound like I'm, I'm being, I don't know, a dick, <laughs> but I just want to be honest. But then, boom, you came here and uh, boom, I came here and I felt like I was nothing because I didn't have the same thing as I had back home and it was destroying me. So I made this video about how I am struggling with all of this. But actually, I, I only glossed over it. The, the main thing that I ended the video with was the fact that I was going to quit my job, which was a waitressing job, and focus on what I love to do which was, at that time, a graphic novel. So it was more about letting go of so-called stability and follow my dreams. And it was a conversation between me and me through a mirror. And I was happy to know that that video... I don't know if I would say inspired, but it did make some of my friends emotional. <laughs> And I don't know, I really think that life is, I, I feel like we are, we expect ourselves to live in a certain ways, having a good job, whatever. And we, we, we're so harsh to ourselves about that, but it shouldn't be. And life is too short to do things you don't like. <laughs> so it was that conversation I had with myself about, hey, let's quit this crappy job that like, undervalue you and just start making things you love and that's why right now I don't have a job but I'm doing what I love I'm just making a bunch of art and videos <laughs> could you share a bit the message of that particular video wow message of a particular video um yeah the short documentary no no I understand I understand I'm just thinking if I had any message at all it's more like let me think about it this is weird you know, I, I don't think I think that much. I, I don't think I think that complicated about the things I make, honestly. So I remember at that time, I think in a way, I don't know how to, how to talk to people. For example, I'm not very good at verbal communication, as you can see. I'm not very good at explaining myself. But what I feel like I'm confident in is drawing. And when I draw, it's like I'm having a conversation with myself. And then through drawing, maybe I can express better what I'm feeling. And it was the same with the video. It was more like I wanted to be playful. I want to play with the negative emotions I was having. So that's why I had this visual effect of me talking to myself in a mirror. And that was really fun for me to make. And yeah, it's kind of like... I don't know, self-therapy, I guess? Like, taking what's bothering me and then make it into a little fun game, in a way. And part of me, I think most of it was more about wanting to inspire people who are too afraid of making films, for example. Lately, I've had a lot of chances, a lot of opportunities to make whatever I want and which is really uh, incredibly lucky of me so what i learned is that we artists are i think everyone too we are so obsessed with being perfectionist 
But lately, I've been more chill with that. So I don't try to. So okay, I'm gonna start over again. <laughs> so that that film, one of the proudest thing about that film is the fact that I didn't have any proper gear. I only I actually borrowed my boyfriend's cell phone. I had my super old cell phone and an iPad, and uh, it was just like all this super crappy bricks that was recording myself. And if it was me a few years ago, I would have thought like, oh, I cannot make this because I need a high quality camera. I need to have this beautiful pixels, you know, like it had to look beautiful. But no, it, that's not the thing. What I want to focus on is storytelling. So I had to let go of the idea that it has to look beautiful. No, it doesn't have to look beautiful. The same with the music video I made for Mademoiselle. I I kind of thought of giving up at some point because I thought it looked so ugly. <laughs> I really think it was ugly, but then I told myself it doesn't have to look perfect. But is it a feeling you have for every artwork? A lot of times, a lot of times, most of the time, I draw something that I'm proud of, and then ten minutes later, I look back at that and I think, oh my god, this stuff is ugly. <laughs> and I think we all have to just grind through it. And I truly believe that even Da Vinci had this, like. We all think whatever we made is not there yet, and then we keep striving to make better stuff, and we we are rarely very satisfied with what we made. I think. Yeah. So, in short, to answer your question, I'm not sure if I actually had a message, honestly, but I just really, really hope that. If there's any artists out there who think they're not good enough, or they don't have proper gears or proper tools, they should still make their artwork regardless. And I just wanted to encourage that in my video, I think. And is it something you talk about in the video? No, I don't. <laughs> so the graphic novel you're talking about is Tuning Harmony, right? Yeah, Tuning Harmony. Yeah, can you introduce it a little bit? Uh, Tuning Harmony is um, telling my story through a fantasy setting. So it is about. Um, oh my God! I haven't thought about this for so long. I also forgot about it. Sorry, Long. I should have talked to you about what's going on with my life before this, maybe. But um, Tuning Harmony is basically a story about a person who doesn't feel like they belong. And uh, she tries her best to fit in, but to be able to fit in, she would have to sacrifice a lot of things. And that's basically the story that she has to choose: that she wants to be true to herself, but accept to be sort of a lonely person, or uh, will she rather pretend to be someone else so she can fit in? And it's in a fantasy setting. When didn't you belong? Oh, in my life. Um, I had that feeling since I came here in the Netherlands, and the pandemic didn't help, because <laughs> now we're all on lockdown and uh, I have much less chances to go out there. It's been a year now since I came here, but yeah, it, it's very difficult because a lot of times when something, so obviously I guess I could have done more to make friends here, but at the same time I felt like I was doing. How do you say it? Like for me, making friends in Vietnam was much much easier than making friends here, and there were just so many factors that I couldn't control. For example, age. 
So when you're older, it's much harder to make friends. Whether because the... Well, I also thought that because the locals, they already had their friends already. They grew up with this group of friends. And they're busy with their work. They're busy with their families, you know. Lam, I'm sweating. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> actually, this is the part that I actually said in the, the, the video of the short film documentary. And I cut it off, actually, because I didn't want to blame the locals. Like, obviously, there are a lot of things I could have done. I mean, obviously, I am living in a country that I don't speak the language of. And as an immigrant, I have to learn Dutch. But learning a language, it takes a lot of time. And I was really harsh on myself about that. I was like, oh, if I'm here, I'm supposed to be speaking Dutch. Why am I not? Why? Of course, I won't have any friends because I'm not speaking Dutch. And um, I, I kept being harsh on myself. I was blaming myself that it was my fault. I don't put myself out there as much as I could. I'm not speaking Dutch. But people also think that, you know, the locals also has to be welcoming as well. And I don't think they have been welcoming. Like, they're not rude, but they were also not welcoming. <laughs> Does that make sense? <laughs> so that because of, how, because of how gray it was, like, it's not like black and white. If they were, like, racist towards me, if they were, like, telling me to go back home, it would have been easier to figure out. But the fact that they were not rude, but they were also... Yeah, they were not rude, made it harder for me to understand why it was so hard for me to blend in. And uh, yesterday I had a conversation with my boyfriend about this and we actually, I actually figured out the reason why it was hard for me to blend in was because they, it, it, it feels weird to say they and me. I don't, I don't like to say me versus them kind of mentality, but I'm just going to say that the, the locals I've met, that I, I had problem connecting the reason why I couldn't connect with them was because they were afraid of offending me. It's like, because I'm from a different country, I'm from a different race, they didn't know how to talk to me. And it just becomes awkward. They don't know what to ask me, they don't know what to talk to me because they are so tiptoed around me. And the, so the conversation just dies. Or they just become quiet, and they, or just they, they just avoid me altogether because they don't know how to talk to me. In other countries, people would actually straight up ask me stuff like, oh, where are you from? Or like, oh, I've never been to Vietnam. Or like, oh, I don't know anything about Vietnam. Like, tell me more. Like, that would create like a non-ending conversation of culture. Like, culture exchange would happen. But with the locals here, no one ever asked me where I'm from. It's like they're afraid, oh my god, what if she's Dutch, but I, I'm gonna offend her by saying, where are you from? It's, it's, it's weird. And so we would be kind of sitting in the dark, we don't know anything about each other. This person would be so afraid of asking me where I'm from, oh, that they don't know anything about Vietnam. I mean, when I was in Hungary, I met a guy who straight up asked me, do you love Ho Chi Minh? And I thought that was a really fascinating conversation, like... That was like really like yes, political, controversial, but it was a really great conversation and I kinda wish that people here wouldn't be so afraid of offending me, <laughs> you know. Like if they could just ask questions that would be nice.
So yeah, I think that's the problem that I'm facing. And now that I know it, I'm kind of excited to meet them again. So maybe I can kind of invite them to talk about stuff that they might feel uncomfortable talking about. So um, yeah, sorry, Lama. I feel like I'm botching this interview. <laughs> no, no, it's great. Um, yeah, coming back to multimedia designing for empathy, I was wondering. Because this is new, right? I mean, you are always in multimedia design, but not with the same purpose. How did things happen so that you end up doing what you're doing today? That's a good question. So I always wanted to make animation, actually, when I was a kid. My dream when I was like 18, maybe, maybe when I was 19 or something, my dream was to have an animated TV series. Like on national television, because I really, really focus. I, I have a passion for uh, education for children, and so for example, Mr. Rogers is something that I really aspire. It's like, oh, my idol, you know. But then when I start college, that's when I start getting noises. Like for example, I start believing in other stuff. For example, oh, you're supposed to have a stable job first, or you have to have a degree. Like all of these noises that start to make you doubt in your dreams and doubt in yourself. And at some point, I even thought, oh my god, I don't think I will ever be able to do anything when I'm making art. So I'll have to switch and get a degree in psychology and maybe I want to become a therapist. Like all of these doubts was there and actually stopped me from pursuing my dreams or believing in my dreams even. Mm. Yeah, how do you say it? It's like, what was your question? <laughs> yeah, how did your work evolve to the work that you are doing today? Because I know that you you worked with, I don't know, in video games. You were doing stuff for an agency. You also did some cool stuff with the UN. You also trained yourself to be a Montessori teacher. All these things. How? <laughs> see, you can see how lost I was. <laughs> no, but see, like. Uh, on the way, I kept telling myself, oh my god, I'm not enough, I have to do this. Oh no, I'm not enough, I have to learn that. And honestly, I don't regret any of them. I love that I glossed over so many things and I'm able to learn so many lessons. But yeah, in the end, I found myself back on track again about, okay, I still want to make art, I still want to tell stories, I still want to make animations. What lessons did you learn with all these experiences? Um, there's one quote that I really like. I heard from a song called Favorite Fish and he sings Live Life Like Practice. And I think that is very different from what you were told when you're growing up. People tell you like, I don't know, somehow we expect ourselves to be successful from the start for some reason. But I feel like I've been, so I've, I've always been a fan of trial and error in art. So I would keep drawing until, so I would try different methods and then I will try this and see if it doesn't work, then I switch it. But I think from all of this failed experiments, like for example, I would think, oh, maybe I would love becoming a teacher. So I try Montessori and then it doesn't work out for me. So I would go back and say, okay, that wasn't for me. So that was also a trial and error in a much bigger scale in my life. Like when I say a lesson, it will be a huge lesson about 
you wouldn't know if you like something until you try it. You know, and it's not a waste of time. I still got a lot from it. It still helped me. Like the biggest part of it is me learning more about myself, knowing what I love, what I don't like, what makes me angry, what makes me sad. And if I didn't, you know, try other stuff, I wouldn't have figured out. So, yeah, that that is a very personal experience, I guess. So yeah, a lot of things I do, I learn a lot of lesson about myself, like knowing myself better, and that actually would make my art more rich. And also the fact that I put myself in other people's shoes, like for example, becoming a teacher and uh, learning what the difficulties of becoming a teacher is, how you would have to deal with the students, how you would have to deal with the colleagues, how would you have to deal with the parents, that made me appreciate the teachers much more. For example, and um, yeah, I love that being able to uh, to at the same time learn more about myself if I want to be a teacher or not. But at the same time, learn about what that vocation includes, and then you know apply that to all other vocations I've tried in my past. So I love that, and all of that is just gonna enrich my art journey, so I can tell more stories. Yeah. So, like in your art journey and also personal journey, I guess the Montessori period was a big milestone in your life. And what were other steps or the milestones? Hmm. Like I said, my passion is in education, and I was really—I always wanted to make things for kids. For example, animation, like animated series for kids, and children's book. So I was always focusing on education for a younger audience, and uh, I thought to be able to do that, I really should learn more about children and learn more about education. So I I was looking at um, actually you introduced me to Montessori method. So I didn't know anything about Montessori until uh, you told me about Montessori, and uh, I read about it. But Montessori training was so expensive, so I was like, well, I guess I won't have a chance becoming, you know, learning more about Montessori method. And then one day I saw a job posting. A person said. We are looking for an artist that can make children's book, can illustration, make illustrations for children's book, and I applied. And uh, on that interview, I learned that the client is actually the headmaster of a Montessori training program, and she actually owns a few Montessori kindergartens in Hanoi, really huge ones too. And then when we were negotiating, she said, "Well, we don't really have the budget." To pay you for this gig, but then I'm really proud that I took that chance and I said, "Okay,、uh, you don't have to pay me, but can I have like a scholarship to be in your training program?" And that was the deal that I'm gonna draw her this children's book, and、uh, I will get free education about Montessori. And I really believe that you know, if I want to make children's book, I should understand children. So that was a very challenging training program, but at the same time very interesting, very rewarding as well. And、uh, yeah, after that, I started working in a Montessori school. And yeah, I learned that I think I don't think I can become a teacher. <laughs> like I love children, but I'm not that type of person who. Would see a baby and go like, "Oh, so cute! Let's let me play with him." No, I, I, I'm not like that. I, I don't know. I treat them like adults. 
So yeah, and I'm very particular about how to teach children. So I used to get frustrated when my colleagues were treating them a little bit different from what I would do, and that would frustrate me a lot. And I know that's something I have to learn. Like I can't, I, like I really want to create like a perfect environment for children, but uh, I know it's not possible. And I really, I still have to learn that to let go. But anyway, that's what I learned about myself. And uh, yeah, I I'm really proud of my Montessori period, I guess. <laughs> And what happened after you realized actually I I don't want to be a teacher? What did you do? Well, I, I, um, I actually don't think I ever realized that it was more like, well, I don't feel like this is my calling, but I don't mind working here, even though it's really frustrating. Actually, being a Montessori teacher, people say it is the hardest job in the world, and I, I do believe that. And I think if I really want to become a Montessori teacher, I would have to sacrifice a lot, and uh, I don't think. When I think about it, I just think maybe that I don't love that job enough to sacrifice that much, you know. Of course, not to invalidate other jobs. I'm just saying that Montessori teacher is a really tough job because you have to deal with. Well, you work with children is very exciting, but then when you deal with their parents, uh, of course, everyone, all the parents care about the children. But then they have a different belief, for example. And in the end, what happens is that, okay, let me say. So, to have a successful Montessori method, you have to have consistency between home and school. That means that the teachers and the the parents have to collaborate. But it's very difficult to collaborate if the parents don't believe in the field method that uh, Montessori believes, for example. So what happens is that the kids at school they have a completely different environment, and then when they go home they have a completely different environment, and that is going to have actually a negative effect on children when they grow up. It's very confusing for them. And of course, if you're working with children and you have to take care of like twenty children a, a day, you do try your best, but then the parents will still come and they can still yell at you for some certain things. And it can be very, how do you say it, like a little bit of a thankless job in a way. And of course, a lot of people might, yeah, just put all the responsibilities on the teacher, and it's a lot of pressure. So it's quite a tough job. And I am terrified of adults. <laughs> I am terrified of adults. I I would love to work with childrens, but I cannot deal with adults. So I'm like,、mm, I don't think this job is for me. <laughs> So, did you give up your will to work with children after that? I just think that I、um, would rather work indirectly, which is making children's book, for example. So, I would. I'm also very introverted, so <laughs> I think less interaction is better for me. You know, I wouldn't have to deal with parents at school, even though I love children. It's like, I don't know. When you started to. Focus more on your personal projects. Did you still work for different companies, or did you test and try all different things from that moment? Okay, so this is quite interesting. So when I came here, I had a period where I was depressed. I had some depression, and 
well, or depressed, I don't know. And uh, one of the first thing that put me back on track was thinking about what I used to love when I was a kid. Like going back to who I am, basically. Because I, I really believe that... Uh, so I was really lost, right? And I was really sad and I didn't know why. I would think of, okay, what did I used to do when I was a kid? What did I love? And uh, that was the answer, really. Like, okay, when you were a kid, you are not influenced by the... What was it? It's not conformity, but like what the society expects of you. You you are completely yourself without any noise. And so, yeah, I just brought myself back to when I was a child, think about what I used to do, what I love to do, and I just brought it back. And, um, yeah, it's like a full circle again. I'm I'm just back to being a child again. <laughs> and I, I enjoy it. And uh, it's actually going well. Like, yeah, it's going well. <laughs> so do you think now you're on the right track? I think so. I would like. I would like to think so. I would like to think so. You never know what's gonna happen in the future. Maybe one day I will get lost again, and uh, hopefully I will be able to go back on track again. <laughs> I mean, it's part of life. Just have to accept that you will always get lost at some point, and it's okay. And it's a very normal process. It's just a really human life thing. And every time you get lost, and you. Go back on track, you learn something new about yourself and you grow a little bit more. So, yeah, I, I don't mind getting lost again because it's going to be difficult. But that would mean that at the end of it, I will learn something very valuable and I'll grow. In the end, we're all just human. We, we're just going with the flow and then get the best from it, I guess. Like, just make the best out of that situation. And that's life. Are you still going with the flow? I think so. I mean, I think it's nice to have like a general direction, like what I want to achieve and then work towards it. But if something happens along the way, I am still flexible enough to go with the flow. Does that make sense? Like I right now, I, I kind of think like, man, it would be nice to have a series. I can make like an animated series. And then I thought, actually... I can do that. I can actually make it right now. Like, why do I have to wait? So that's actually what I have in my mind right now. I want to make like a short series, maybe either eight or ten episodes of four-minute episodes about things that we teach children. I don't know how to explain it because I actually don't have the script even. I'm just like... I want to make a series, and it's gonna be a, uh, it's gonna be for kids, but also for parents as well. So, for example, I think teaching uh, social interaction is very important, and then, for example, teaching listening skills, and then also teaching the parents about how they should work with their children. You know, so it's not always about teaching the children, but it's also about educating the adults, the parents. That's actually what I learned from a lady. In Vietnam, she was really big about, she was focusing on sex education, which Vietnam is still somehow behind because sex is such a taboo topic for Vietnamese parents. And a lot of parents, they think that they have to, how do you say it, stop their children from dating. You know, it's, it's kind of like the same for me. My mom would always tell me like, no boyfriends, go study. 
And then when I'm out of college, she's like, are you a lesbian? Why are you not dating? You know, it's like, <laughs> like they don't really allow us to date. But then the fact is love still happens whether you allow it or not. So the worst case scenario happens all the time is the fact that when parents say you're not supposed to date someone and because of that the children date behind their back so they you know if you allow your children to talk to you they will share everything to you but if you if you stop them from dating they will have more risk of unwanted pregnancy because they don't know anything about it and they feel unsafe to share with their parents and no parents want that um sorry i'm terrible at explaining this you know what i mean it's like when you tell your children to not do drugs and then the kids still do drugs and they're afraid of telling the parents and they overdose or something like this it's like no one wants that so that's why a lot of parents say hey if you feel like smoking weed we can smoke together it's safer you know it's more controlled and then the kids feel like they can talk to their parents so that's kind of the thing that I also want to talk about in this series in a way, or even the fact that there are some parents who think that, so for example, when kids are around five or four, maybe they don't feel weird about their body. You can let them run naked outside and they don't feel embarrassed. But at some point in their growth, they will start feeling like, oh my God, like I, I can't be naked. This is weird. And um, a lot of times parents forget about that. So actually there was a time when I start having conscious about it. My mom was like washing me when I was, I think I was six or something, washing me and then she would open the door super freely and start talking to her, my uncle. And I would feel so embarrassed and so angry, but my mom didn't notice that. And this is something that, um, okay, this is not a very good example, the better example would be, for example, if your parents let a neighbor touch your child and the child might feel uncomfortable, but the parents don't see that. And it leads to the child growing up thinking that their body is not really theirs. You know what I mean? So all of these small things that parents gloss over, they don't notice, have very big impact on children. And I think with this series that I'm going to make, I will kind of address that. And uh, so, yeah, it doesn't really have a specific script yet, but I have sort of a few ideas that I picked up over the years or even in my own experience when I was growing up that I'm going to address in the series. So that's what I have in my mind. That sounds good. That sounds great. Yeah, hope to see that series soon. Oh my God, I hope so. <laughs> I'll be the first one on Patreon. Oh, Patreon. Oh my God. I'll try. <laughs> Um, I have a question about your core values. So you've wrote that your core values are growth, openness, connectedness, and empathy. It's on your CV, so, so everyone can everyone can access it. <laughs> yeah, I was like, you you read my resume. <laughs> so you spoke about empathy already, but I wondered what growth, openness, and connectedness mean to you. Uh, actually, all of them for me. It's sort of the same thing. Not the same, but like they're all connected. I think it's kind of like a step-by-step -step thing. When you want to connect with other people, you open up. You become vulnerable. And then when both people are vulnerable, they can connect. And when they can connect, 
they can understand each other more. That's empathy. And then from that, you learn new things, and that's why you have growth. And so this is what I really believe in. Like, that's what I try to do with my art as well. Like, by me opening up myself, I invite everyone to connect with me, and then I would love to talk to everyone, and then see where they're coming from, why they're feeling that way, and then understanding each other more. And that's how I grow, and that's how maybe I will help other people grow as well. How did you identify your four core values? How did I identify it? Do you have core values? How do you identify it? What are your core values? I I I don't know. I didn't write it on my resume, so I don't remember. <laughs> mm, I I think it's kind of like when this is kind of like when I'm looking for a job. When I'm looking for a job, I always read the company's values, their missions, and I have to see if it speaks to me. It matters a lot to me what they believe in, and uh, because from that, it's it's like the why. It's it's why we do something, and from why we will have what and how or how and what. I don't remember which. Why, why, how, what? Right? I think. Yeah. <laughs> so I think. Oh my God! There are just so many times. Uh, I I maybe I I I. I Maybe I was able to identify these core values because I was spending two years looking for a job. Because <laughs> I was reading like all of these company values, and I was like, "No, I don't want to work for them." And I'm like, "No." And then I would read other companies and be like, "Yeah, this this sounds right." So that's how I was able to kind of know what I truly believe in, and of course, other life experiences as well. I had an experience where. I had one of my best friends from high school. There were time that she cheated on her boyfriend, and I was very unsupportive of her, and I lost friendship with her, and I regretted a lot. And from then, I really want to become that person that everyone can come to me and tell me things that they're ashamed of, and don't have to worry about me abandoning them. So. I think that's that's also why I I really want to live up to that core values about you know everyone do things for a reason. It might not be the best thing that they could have done, but they didn't know better, or they they really needed someone to be with them. You know what I mean? It's like if I were there for her, maybe I could have redirected her um, loneliness to somewhere else and choose a different action. Other than cheating, for example. So I think I, I really believe in the fact that whatever someone does something, it's not because they're a bad person. And I never want to push people away for things they do anymore. And I think, yeah, you know, it's kind of the same with.、Um, I don't believe in punishment, but I believe in what? What is the other one? Is it redemption? I don't know. <laughs> it's like. Yeah, if you understand people and you give them a chance, and then they wouldn't be so isolated, because the isolation is what make them go in even worse direction. So this is what I really believe in. So yeah, these core values, I think, it makes sense to me. What do you want people to know you and remember you for? <laughs> at this moment, at this moment, I want to be that artist that. Uh, draw whatever she wants without worrying about how ugly it looks. 
<laughs> because, yeah, like I said, the perfectionism is killing us. It's making us paralyzed. It, it's, it's stopping us from doing things. And we should stop giving a crap about it and just do what you love without worrying so much about the quality of it. Because over time, over time we will improve. And uh, yeah, if you don't make anything, you will never improve. And you will just be in your head worrying about how ugly it looks. <laughs> so yeah, right now, that's, that's what I want to be. <laughs> that's great. And if you had to find three hashtags that make people think about you, what would be the three hashtags? Can I, can I say my name? <laughs> It's like, <laughs> I don't know. Three hashtags to let people think about you. Um... Oh, hold on. I'm going to add something. Um, you remember when we were having a viewing party for a TEDx woman and there was a speech, there was a TED talk about revolutionary love by Valerie Kaur. Um, I'm not sure if I'm saying her last name right. Valerie Kaur. Um, thinking about hashtag reminds me of her. Like hashtag revolutionary, revol, revolutionary love. Um, I, I really think it's a beautiful thing like love oh when you think about it cheesy cheesily it's like love will solve everything <laughs> in a way so compassion empathy revolutionary love and hashtag koyo <laughs> hashtag let's go koyo <laughs> okay and so here's my last question for you how can people support you and how can people find you If they want to see your artwork, your videos, if they want to support your work as well. Um, um, how can they support me? That's a good question. Um, I mean, yes, if you find me on Instagram, Let's Go Koyo, um, you will see me <laughs> and my artworks and, uh, and my future works as well. And yeah, if everyone viewed my upcoming projects and share it, if they feel like it, that would be already a really big support for me. Uh, oh yeah, and please voice it. Please tell me that you like it because in my experience, when I start YouTube and even Instagram stories, very, very, very few people tell me that they enjoy my content. It's very rare for someone to come up and say it. They often only say it when I ask them. <laughs> Wait, no, I don't even ask. It's kind of like when we start having a conversation, then they will say, hey, I watch your videos. They're nice. And I'm like, why didn't you tell me before I canceled it? <laughs> you know, so that'd be great. Like, just send me a little um, word about, yeah. You know, if you really, it's not about me as well. It's about every artist out there that you love. If you love anything, please send them a word, just comment, whatever, tell them that you appreciate it. Because honestly, I don't think people receive it enough. It's, it's never going to be enough. Yeah. And in my experience, because maybe because also because I'm very, I'm a very small artist, small, small artist, uh, not very well known. No one tells me, no one tells me that they like my work. <laughs> so it would be nice to know. <laughs> yeah. That would be a really great boost, really, that uh, I'm making some differences in people's lives. Cool. Thank you so much, Koyo. I will try to do that more often. <laughs> And yeah, no, I was super happy 
to have you for this super intense conversation. And uh, yeah, we can, I mean, we, we, you, we can all find Koyo in every social media channel possible because she's everywhere. And yeah, let's send her some messages of love. Thank you, Koyo. Ah, thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the story of Koyo. And as she said, if you enjoyed this episode and if you like her artwork, feel free to send her a message directly so that she can know about it. And of course, don't forget to subscribe to Lifeline and to share this episode with your friends. In the next episode, you will be meeting William, a French-born Vietnamese artist whose life mission is to empower people to express themselves through art, whether it's singing, dancing, playing instrument or acting. Here is an extract and see you next time. It's really interesting when you try to teach people how to sing because a lot of people say that they cannot sing and just say, no, you cannot say that because you have a voice, you can talk and you can sing. And I, I don't like this kind of thing. Like people just say that, yeah, I cannot do that. They say, yeah, just try and we, we're going to see after. And I will say some things like an artist, a singer or anybody like always being before a beginner for singing like well on tunes you have to starting to singing bad like to just do some mistake I always have some tune when I'm saying that because I really believe in that even if like it's gonna take a long path sometime a long time it's okay if you really love it just try it but if you don't try it you're never gonna be able to see if you can do this if you don't like singing of course don't sing it's not your thing But if you enjoy singing in a shower, I really like, well, yeah, just to find the button, the button in the people to just connect with their own art. I think it's like connecting with your own creativity. Yeah, I think I can say art, but also it's like express yourself. And yeah, I'm talking a lot about art, but I think my main target is to show people how to express themselves.